0: Let's go ahead and get at it tonight, Revelation chapter 19 in your Bibles. Uh, A second time visitor this morning said something to me that was very interesting. She said it really nicely and the right way. She said, it's really a blessing to see all the men in this church. Ladies, please don't take that personal and by any stretch of the imagination, you're just as important as the men are and all that stuff. So it's definitely not like that. But she said, I go to churches and I don't see very many men. And she said, you got a really strong group of guys around you. And she said, it's really a blessing to see all the men in this church. I wonder if some of you young kids, you young guys, will, will fall in love with Jesus Christ and just follow Him and find out that there's some really good women out there that would love a godly man that knows the Bible and loves Jesus Christ and is willing to lead your family for the Lord. Yeah. I didn't say grab them by the hair and drag them around because you're the, you know, ooh. <laughs> Woman, submit. I didn't say that. I said, if you'll fall in love with Jesus Christ, be a strong man that loves God, loves the Bible, loves the Lord, and be faithful to God and faithful to church. And see if God will give you a woman that loves the Lord and wants a man like that. Amen. Women are going to church in droves, and the men are going to the church in half a dozens. You know what happened? I'm telling you, this is what I think happened. I think what happened is we went into this whole liberal movement stuff back in the 60s and 70s and the equal rights and all the rest of that stuff where we throw out God and His system because He doesn't know what He's doing and we need to be liberated and we're all equals and all the rest of that stuff. So now you got women becoming men, men becoming women. And the old preacher years ago, I remember him saying it when I was a kid. He's got it in books he wrote back in the 70s and 80s. He said, if a man can't rule the roost, he'll fly the coop. Now, you think about that, and then we go on and on about the fact that there's so many men, single moms, and kids that are being raised without a dad. Well, if we get back to God's system, that wouldn't be happening. It's just how it is. I'm not saying that I'm trying to beat anybody down. i got a wife and four daughters, and I respect them. I tell my wife all the time, she's not weak. None of my daughters are weak, not one of them. They are weaker. They're the weaker vessel, but they're not weak. And they're not stupid. My wife's got a higher IQ than I got. And I'm proud of it. I'm not ashamed of it at all. Proud of her. Think the world of her. Before I even call my preacher, I ask my wife what she thinks. Would you doubt for two seconds who the head of my home is? The poor girl's followed me when she knew I was making mistakes. Literally, across the country, pack up and move. And she knew I was wrong. <laughs> she followed me anyways and prayed the whole time. Man, and God taught me some stuff and taught her some stuff. And she paid for it by submitting to me. But we've made it 21 so far. God help us. would like to get another 21 under our belt. My in-laws, uh, Grace is uh, not going to say it out loud. Her older sister is 43. Her mom and dad have been married 44, 45 years now. pretty good ain't it (laughs) i mean we were talking about that on the way to church like how long your mom and dad been married man what a blessing ain't that cool you know what it is it's simple it's just simple we're just going to do it god's way and trust the lord and work through it all and just one day at a time you can't beat god's system and i just appreciate her observation on that her humility i said i sure hope that you don't feel like this is a male church quote unquote she said, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I said, good, okay, because I, I want you to feel comfortable and welcome here, too. <laughs> feel like this isn't a church. Somebody said a long time ago, this is really a family church. No, it's not. This isn't a church for the family. If you're single or you're, you know, you used to be married and you're not anymore, this is your church. Don't, don't start that, well, it's really a family church. No, it's not. We got a lot of families. Ain't that a blessing? Amen. blessing we got little kids. So don't get your nose all bent out of shape because you're sitting there feeling like, oh, it's a a family church. That's the devil whispering in your ears. This ain't a family church. And by the way, this ain't a male church either. Our Savior is the one it's all about. He's a male, you know, (laughs) Jesus Christ. But it's all about him. But it is a blessing to have a masculine church and a bunch of men that are in church. That's a blessing, man. And I just appreciate you guys and your testimony. And what I'm trying to say is that you don't realize how just coming and sitting in that pew and saying amen and shaking your head and coming back and being faithful, you don't realize what the Lord might be doing and what may be coming down the road for us, what the Lord might do with us together. I'm pretty excited about it. And if all he does is give us each other, we're having a good time, aren't we? I'm in such a state where I could just stay where I'm at and just keep going the rest of my life and die happy right where I'm at. But I don't think the Lord's done with us, and it's just a real blessing. So thank you for being faithful, and I thought that was a moving observation. All right, I'll count that into my preaching time, okay? I kind of want to get to a certain place tonight. I think we're going to get down through verse 7. And I'd like to get to that place and show you some things, but there's a couple of stopping points along the way that i got to point some things out to you. But Revelation chapter 19, let's read the passage. We'll start in verse 1 and read down through verse 7. It says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are His judgments. That's a great phrase. For He hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. Now watch this. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. We're going we're gonna to drill down on that next week. And I'm probably going to show you some stuff on the board. Uh, actually, it will be a couple weeks. Because next week I'm going to uh, do the mysteries. It's the fourth Sunday, right? Next week? Yeah. So we'll do the mysteries because the youth will be downstairs. So we'll do, get to it in a couple weeks. We'll drill down on that piece of it. But here's the... The thought I'd like to drive at on the practical level for you tonight, that might be uh, ministering to you spiritually speaking, it says, uh, the marriage of the Lamb is come, and here it is, and her wife hath made herself ready. his wife. And he is saying she made herself ready. Uh, I think that's a great thought, but we got to teach down through here because we've been going through the book, and so i got to get to all this stuff, but I'd like to get down to that point tonight and try to help you a little bit with your walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for the great day you've already given us, not only in our morning service, Lord, and uh, the folks joining, and uh, Lord, the opportunity to pray with Mrs. Slabbert. God, we ask you to bless her and comfort her heart, show up. Help her to know we're praying. We know the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, you said. And so, we're praying. We want to keep praying. Uh, Lord, just a blessing today to get a text message from folks saying, uh, during our prayer times, so I know more people were praying than just myself. Lord, I looked up and there was uh, tears all over the building. And uh, what a blessing, God, that you've given us a church family like this. And that folks have such a tender heart. Love you and love each other and uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd uh, help that to keep going. Protect us, Lord. We need you. And draw us to yourself. And, uh, Lord, we pray now as we get into this thing tonight that you'd be with us again, that you'd be with my mind, be with my mouth. Uh, give us understanding in the, the Word of God and the things we're looking at. And we do thank you also for a good time at the nursing home this afternoon. We ask you to bless the seeds that were sown there. I want to water them in a prayer. Pray that you'd work on hearts and that you'd even be working right now while I'm standing here praying. I pray you'd be working on the hearts of the workers that were listening and the folks that were sitting there, and that your spirit would be drawing them to yourself. Give us an opportunity, Lord, to see more people saved and to minister to them once they get saved and to help them grow. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at in Revelation 19 the most important uh, date or event on God's agenda. Uh, That's what Dr. Ruckman called it, and I couldn't agree more. I don't know of any other preacher that pointed it out quite like he did or drew the attention to it quite like he did. I grew up in church and around a bunch of preaching and in the Bible colleges and all the rest of that stuff where everybody made the most important agenda, the cross. Let me just say this to you and me. (laughs) I get it, (laughs) right? I mean, from a human standpoint, I don't know of anything more important than the cross of Calvary. The fact that Jesus Christ bore my sins in his body on the tree, uh, it can't get any bigger than that. Uh, It can't get any more important than that, that he paid my sin debt. He didn't just pay my sin debt, he took it down, he put it in hell, and he rose again victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, man. I mean, what a savior. That means a lot to me. That's a big deal. But you see, the cross, if that's all it was, that's, that's not real good for God watching his son become sin. Something's wrong with any religious movement that wants to keep Jesus on the cross. That's why I've told you I don't necessarily pick at people having a cross. I don't have any objection to having a cross you know, on the front of the building or whatever like that. It doesn't bother me. You're supposed to take up your cross and follow him, right, as a Christian. But remember, a cross is a curse. So a religious institution that's always crossing themselves, i got to wonder about. A religious institution that takes a, 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 a savior that would became sin for us on the cross, cursed of God for us, on the cross, and keeps him on the cross. I got an issue with that. Something's wrong with that picture. That was not the most important day on God's agenda. That was God pouring out his Son and making him an offering for our sin. The most important day on God's agenda is when His Son comes back and gets what He's rightfully His and sits on that throne. The theme of the Bible is not the cross, no matter what the fundamentalists try to tell you. The theme of the Bible is a king and his kingdom. And what you're looking at now as you get down to the end of Revelation is you look at this thing coming full circle where God's sending His Son back to set up His kingdom. And this is the most important event on God's agenda ever to be. And folks, I'm telling you what a day that's going to be, man. I'm looking forward to it. I I can't wait. I've tried to explain it to you before, and I believe I'm really accurate in telling you this. But it's hard for us as human beings to comprehend. I quoted it this morning. The Bible talks about death being swallowed up of life. Right. I'm coming. I have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I really believe when we get to heaven, when we get to glory, when we actually get there in a glorified body, we're going to experience life on a level we've never experienced it before. Like so real that this feels like a dream in comparison to life when it's fully enwrapped in us. I mean, we're fully we're fully consumed by life. You're living in death. That's why after a long day on Sunday, I never made it home, and I told my wife, I'm like, good night, honey. I need you to bring me a change of shirt and whatnot. I stink. She said, nobody's getting that close to you. Don't worry about it. And if they are getting that close to you, they need to back up. I said, okay, you're right. No problem, right? Well, I stink. You know why I stink? Because I'm dying. That's toxins coming out of my body. You understand that? How do you think you really have life if you're living in a dying carcass? You know what you got to do every day? you got to die every night. You wanna see me die, turn a TV on. Nothing like it. I'm serious. I don't know. I've got my mom's disease. I sit down on the couch, and if you turn the TV on, I'm gone. I'm gone. I mask my kids. They just make fun of me to no end. Like, oh you're such an old man. I'm like, I'm not old, okay? I got it from my mom. Started about two years ago and it's just seven o'clock. It could be seven o'clock and I'm like, oh nothing like a TV. I pay attention to the TV and it tunes me out of all the real thoughts. And so it's just like it just numbs me out like a drug. You know what I mean? I'm just gone. You know why I'm falling asleep? Because if I don't, I'll die. You will die if you go long enough without sleeping. It'll kill you, and you can't make it that long either. And you know what happens every morning? You're resurrected. You know what you're living? You're living a type and a sign of death and resurrection over and over and over and over and over again like that until you actually die. That's good. You don't have life. This is life, man. I mean, when we're going to be coming back with Jesus Christ, we're going to be experiencing life in a glorified body where you don't have to sleep. There's no night there. Ain't it going to be awesome? You guys want to eat? Sure. What you got? I don't know this manna, man. It tastes so good. It's like honey and sugar. And guess what? You can eat it and eat it and eat it, and your body assimilates every bit of it perfectly. I don't think there's... Just guessing, okay? Just give me a break for a second. I don't think there's any excrement did I say that tactfully enough for you? I think your body just uses it all up because it's perfect glorified food in a perfect glorified body. And nothing, none of it goes to fat. You know, it's just all good. You don't gain any weight at all. I mean, it's just going to be a blessing to be there. You understand what I'm saying? In his presence is fullness of joy. And it is his right hand pleasures evermore. And the beauty of those pleasures is there's no season to it where now you've got to reap what you sow. Because sin is pleasurable right. for a season and sin when finished bringeth forth death. But the pleasure with God is going to be the ultimate pleasure with no regret. Man, I'm telling you, can I just, I'm just telling you, that's something to live for. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's a reason to deny your flesh, which what I'm saying will make sense in a few minutes when we get to the end here. That's a reason to deny your flesh and say, you know what? No, I'm going to pass this little test right now, this short little life I got, this little test in front of me today, the test in front of me tomorrow. I'm going to pass those tests. You know why? Because I got something really worth living for. It's going to pay off later. So what we got in verse number one, he says, after these things, I, I, I heard a great voice and much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. Hallelujah is two Hebrew words combined, which means praise ye Jehovah. And I think that's interesting that in your King James Bible, which is inerrant, infallible, and inspired, by the way, and preserved. Is the King James Bible pers- inspired or preserved? Yep. 100%. He puts that word in there that doesn't really make a lot of sense in English. Here's what's interesting about it. So they're saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Man, what a blessing. You know what's interesting about it? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. At these end days that you're living in, there's this weirdness going on in a lot of religions and they talk about, you know, all this speaking in tongues stuff and speaking in a heavenly language, right? Uh, Tongues of angels. Well, you don't have a whole lot in the Bible that can explain to you whether or not there's a language in heaven. But if we don't just define things privately and based on our personal experiences, but we run the references and study the Word of God because we're commanded to do that. I'll preach to you on it next Sunday morning. That Bible is so important. You have no idea. I mean, you probably do, but I'm just saying you have no idea how important that book is. If you start defining things in the Bible based on the Bible, you let God speak for himself, you got maybe a little answer to what it might be. But if you just go over to this verse, and it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Well, instead of paying attention to what he's saying and showing you the importance of charity, it's more important for you to have charity than it is for you to be a martyr. Preached about that this morning. Right? People laying their bodies down. Well, he says it's more important, though I give my body to be burned, in 1 Corinthians 13, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, we we 21st century Americans can sure enough have some charity, can't we? I mean, we don't suffer persecution, do we? You heard me mocking? Mocking the way people use the Bible nowadays. You know, this morning I mentioned the suburban white woman and soccer mom in her Mercedes Benz on her way to her, her lip filler appointment. You know, to get the injections back in her lips. You know, with posting the Bible verses, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." You know, <laughs> not using a King James Bible, mocking that. Yeah, I'm mocking it. It's funny to me the way we way we use the Bible. In light of the fact that people died, sawn asunder, kids killed for the name of Jesus Christ, and we act like we're suffering. Ain't it something? Well, I mean, that's a pretty wild thing if you give your body to be burned Mm -hmm. and have not charity. I don't have the opportunity as of this moment. I still have some level of liberty to go to jail bonds and imprisonments for preaching the truth. I still have some liberty. Thank God for it. But you know what I can do? He says it's better to do. It's better for you to have charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind, envieth not, varneth not herself, not puffed up, not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, that charity never faileth. Charity is not love. They're different. Charity spelled C-H-A-R-I-T-Y. Love spelled L-O-V-E. Charity is a spiritual thing. But what they do, instead of focusing on the bigger thing, which is charity, they're obsessed with speaking in tongues. So, they talk about speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. I'm speaking in a heavenly language. Are you really? Go back to Acts chapter 26. Let me show you a heavenly language. Acts 26. Here's what it might be according to the Bible. Acts 26:14. I had a guy meet with me one time. He was Years and years ago, he was coming to the storefront. His wife would pick him up and drop him off because he didn't have a license. He'd just got out of prison. And he was a big-time Pentecostal. He's a stay-at-home dad while she worked. And I'm uh, and, uh, and, uh, sorry, but zero respect. She's killing herself to make ends meet, and you're vacuuming the floors. No wonder your life's a train wreck. Do what God told you to do and get to work, bro. Anyways... He said, you know, he speaks in tongues and prays in tongues and all this kind of stuff. And he's you know, vacuuming the floor and the Holy Ghost fell on him and knocked him to the floor. And he was crying out in a language. He didn't even know what he was saying. But he had goosebumps all over him. And he was just blabbering in a heavenly language and weeping and praising God. And I said, what were you saying? Oh, I don't know. It was a heavenly language. So how do you know it wasn't a devil? I felt so good. Well, Satan appears as an angel of light and his ministers his ministers of righteousness. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? I said, brother, if I can show you unquestionably, conclusively from the Bible that you're wrong, will you follow the Bible? He said, yes, sir. I said, will you deny your experiences? Whatever you experience, will you deny your experience to allow God to be true? Like the Bible says, yeah, let God be true, but every man a liar. Will you do it? He said, yes, I will. I said, okay, then let's meet. He said, I'd love to. Come into the meeting, sat down, and we started running references on speaking in tongues and all the rest of that stuff. And I'm turning verse to verse to verse. And he's, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I'm like, okay, well, let's let the Bible speak for itself. And I'm showing him the Bible verses. And he's turning beet red. You're more and more frustrated. I say, he's like, you're wrong, you're wrong. I said, no, no, it's not me and you. It's what does the Bible say. I'm not wrong. You're saying God's wrong. I'm showing you what the Bible says. This isn't between us, man. You're wrong, you're wrong. I said, no. No, that's, you're missing the point. I'm just showing you the verses. You're telling me what happened to you. I'm showing you what God said. You got a decision to make. Are you going with what happened to you, or are you going with what God said? You know what he did? He jumps up on the chair. You know what I was in prison for? I'll beat your head in! I said, oh, that's the spirit of God, huh? I thought you were full of the Spirit. I'll beat you. I said, We're done. Go call your wife and have her come pick you up. (laughs) What did he do? He didn't beat me. I know that. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe God put a bubble around me or something. But I said, God doesn't, the Spirit of God ain't interested in giving you tongues, He's interested in giving you a bridle for the tongue you got. And the Bible says the spirit of the prophets are subject unto the prophets, so you're not in the spirit of God right now. You're going to beat me for what? Showing you Bible verses? Isn't that interesting? So let's look at the Bible. Acts twenty six, fourteen. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying, In what tongue? In evil. Well, who's speaking? At Verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, and the brightness of the sun shining about me, and them which journeyed with me. He falls to the earth, and what's the voice from heaven saying, speaking in? If there's a heavenly language, that's the one. (laughs) Ain't that interesting? So you go back in Revelation chapter 19, and in your King James Bible, the Lord gives you a Hebrew word, because they're coming out of heaven, and they're speaking from heaven. Oh, we need to update that because that doesn't make any sense in English. That's hallelujah or whatever you're going to do with it. Nope. God knew what he was doing when he gave you that Bible. You don't need to correct the Bible. You need to study it. It doesn't all make sense right away. Isn't that kind of part of why we're here tonight? (laughs) Ain't that why you're supposed to have a prayerful heart when you read? Ain't you supposed to trust it when you don't understand it? Aren't you supposed to reread it, not rewrite it? Don't add to his word or take from his word, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. God's going to say, why'd you change that? You're going to say, well, it didn't make sense in English. That's not the way we say it, or whatever you're going to do. And He's going to say, well, I was trying to show you something stupid. What'd you mess with my words for? Ain't that interesting? Mm -hmm. All right, but that's not the subject I want to get to tonight. Let's go to the next verse. (laughs) Verse 2, for true and righteous are His judgments. That's a good line. I'm glad God's true, and I'm glad God's righteous. And I'm glad about this. Can I say this? In this modern day, I'm glad God judges. Judge not that ye be not judged. You take one verse, pull it out of context, don't even know who it's talking to or what it's talking about, and run around using that as a way you can't tell me I'm right or wrong about anything. Mm -hmm. God's a judging God and a God of judgment. And I'm thankful for it. You know what I get tired of? I get tired of seeing unfairness. I get tired of seeing things that just aren't right, and they're just painful in this world. I'm standing out there Friday night, and this woman comes up there with her little girl, little eight-year-old girl, real, real pretty kid, real sweet kid, real clean, Not, don't have any money, but she was clean, and hair was braided, and the whole nine yards. And Mama obviously has had a hard time. I'll just leave it at that. I mean she, she obviously has had some some hard times in her life. She's probably had some issues, some addictions and things like that, probably guessing. Probably a good guess. She takes that little eight year old girl and she stands her right like this in front of me and she holds her shoulders and she says, Listen to the preacher. Just stand that little girl standing there. I mean there is nothing on her face scared or freaked out or wigging out. Nothing. And I'm praying, like, God, get that little kid. I don't know what she's thinking. I'm in a hoodie and another hoodie and another hoodie and then a stocking cap and gloves and freezing cold. My toes were beat red. They didn't warm up. But it was terrible. I got home, like, man, my feet were hurting. They were so cold. I don't know what I looked like. Nose probably dripping. Had a little headlamp on so I could see my Bible. She's standing. I'm thinking, Holy Ghost, would you show her... That that guy standing there holding the Bible preaching about Jesus is, the, is not the enemy. He's the friend. I don't know what's going on in her little 8-year-old head. You know what bothers me? That poor kid. That poor kid. Woman says, later, I got another one. I got another girl. She's 11 and this one's 8. Living on the street. Trying to make ends meet. Taking care of her little girl. She's out there right now. I, I mean, I don't know where, you, where you're at. Where your kids are. But she's out there right now. No dad in the picture. Woman said, what's your name? I said, Mike. She went, Ugh. I said, well, obviously you've run into some mics that you don't care too much for. She said, yeah, he's tattooed all over me. Her dad was Mike. I said, well, you know, if you were born in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, you got a, and you were male, you got a 50% chance of being a Mike. Don't hold <laughs> it against me. She said, <laughs> that's true, ain't it? I said, yeah, it is. I said, but not all of them are the devil. Some of them love the Lord. That poor little kid, that's not fair. What did that kid do? See, it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. I'd sure like to have somewhere for him to go. (laughs) Get off these streets, let's get cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Let's get around some good people. Mom went and put her in the car and Came back around the corner and back there to get some more stuff. And Brother Joe can't help himself, you know. He's just seen too many of them get snatched up and murdered. He had too many. He's feeding. He's talking to us about feeding serial killers that he knows by name and know him by name and he knew for a decade. And they're coming eating at his table. And they're murdering these girls that he's been ministering to out there on the streets. And they're burying the bodies. He said, I was standing here preaching, feeding him. And right around the corner on that block, there's two of my girls dead while I'm feeding this serial killer. Hey, Brother Joe, how you doing? Hey, man, how you doing? What do you need? We got some boots over here for you. If I'd have known, if I'd have known, if I'd have known, we had to call the cops. I'd have killed them. Like, I know, I know, back up old man, I'm scared of you. (laughs) That bothers me. It's not right. It ain't fair. She puts the little girl in the car, she comes over there and Joe walks over, he can't help himself. Where'd Joe go? He's standing over there by the car making sure nobody does nothing to her. Looking in the window at her. And he's like, Grandpa, big old grandpa that he is, you know. His grandpa heart coming out. He's like, I'm here watching you. Bothers me. I'm sick of this world. I'm sick of creeps getting away with being creepy. I'm sick of people being able to hurt people. I'm sick of people being able to get put down and mistreated. I'm tired of it. You know, the day is coming, Jesus Christ is coming back, and He's going to straighten it all up. He's true and He's righteous. And his judgments are right. And what he's going to do is he's going to judge that great whore we've already taught extensively on who she is. And by now you should know who she is. And if you don't, it's because you don't want to know. That's the Roman Catholic Church. Go back and listen to the other lessons if you don't know. That's the great whore which hath corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. That's that wonder that John said, with the great admiration, he wondered at it. Because here she is, claiming the name of Christ. It's a mystery, Babylon the Great. It's one of the mysteries preachers are supposed to teach you. And they're not being taught nowadays. And that mystery, just like the church is a mystery. We're one body, but we're all separate. We're one body, but we're all over the globe. It's <laughs> a wild thing, ain't it? We're men and women, but we're the bride. That's a mystery. You can't figure that out. It's like the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. While he sat on a throne in heaven, he came down and went into a woman's womb. Now listen, for you thinkers, for you smart people, for you scientists, listen to me for a second. That's a miracle. Okay? There's your science on it. It's a miracle. But please don't forget, as we come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, please don't forget that that's only really 50% of a miracle, because you were born in a woman's womb too, which in and of itself is a miracle. Yeah. And to say that we just evolved by a big bang and gradually got here on our own is 100% miracle. That's right. mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So it's, you. oh, I believe in the big bang, I don't believe in God. Okay, well then you got more faith, perverted on just not the right kind of faith but to use the word you got more faith quote unquote than we got so don't mock me for having faith in god it's just blind faith a guy said that to me recently so then it's just blind faith i said no doc it's not blind faith the entrance of thy words giveth light giveth understanding unto the simple it's come now let us reason together saith the lord it's reasonable faith based on what god said and it stands up scientifically since you're so smart old man you're smarter than God. You know what bothers me? But witnessing to him for a long time. That's what bothers me. And the more you reject the light, because I know God's dealing with them, the more you reject the light, the hotter your hell's getting. Quit putting me in that position. Walk away and leave it alone. Or get saved. See, it bothers me. I'm not mean. I don't want to look mean. I sound mean. I'm not mean. You gotta understand that bothers me. Mocking Christian people because you got faith in the Bible. Yeah, you judgmental jerk, you prejudiced, judgmental jerk. You've never read it cover to cover, but you're going to mock me for believing it? Come on. Don't prejudge. That's prejudice, right? Prejudgment. Drives me nuts. So I'm saying this to you because I love you and I don't want you to let them get in your head. You kids don't let the teachers at school, don't you respect them because they're teachers. And it's a good testimony. And it's not a good testimony for you to be a snarky little brat to somebody who's old enough to be your parent. Or they're not. They might have just got through school and be 20. And, you know, your teacher, you're supposed to respect the authority. But don't you dare let the devil use them to get in your head to doubt God. Amen. You need the truth. Amen. All right, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to be preaching tonight. And here I go. I can't help it. So I'm thankful for God's judgment and this mystery that he's shown us. He's going to judge her and she is a mystery. And so it's not something you can necessarily nail down until you start studying the Bible and you realize this is mystery. Babylon the great, she commits fornication and she claims the name of Christ while she kills people that actually follow the Jesus Christ of the Bible, not the Jesus Christ of the church. Verse number three, and again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. Now, look at that. Folks, I'm telling you, hell's eternal. You live in a day and age where they're trying to air condition hell. I'm not here to air condition hell. I'm here to give you the Bible. Amen. It says her smoke rose up forever and ever. It is eternal fire. It, you, you, you're not going to go there and be annihilated. You know, the doctrine of annihilation, they teach that even the devil goes there and eventually gets burned up. Or eventually pays for his sin long enough to where he comes out restored. You can't find that in the Bible. That's new age garbage. That ain't Bible. Hell is eternal damnation. Now listen, God's judgments are true and right, right? There's not a person in this room. Now hear me. There's not a person in this room who would say, Yeah, I agree 100% with somebody spending eternity in the lake of fire. Yeah, yeah, it stiffens up, doesn't it? That's a long time. You know why? You don't see sin like God sees it. That's exactly why. And it's just. And God gives every one of them a chance. And when they reject eternity and they reject the gravity and the magnitude and the power of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them. And snub their nose at the Son of God and walk away from it. They got coming what God says they got coming and it's right. I know it's not palatable. I get that. That's why preachers avoid preaching on it. But if some of you and some of us would get a hold of the gravity of hell, we'd be a little bit bolder of a witness. We'd pray a little harder for our lost loved ones. I'll bet you some people would be willing to push away from the table for at least a meal or two. And when you build up to it, maybe about three meals. Which means including sleeping time. So I'm talking about running 24 hours. Just to fast and pray for your loved ones. I'm not pushing you to fast and praying. I'm pushing you first to start trying just saying something. Just trying to invite. Just trying to pray. And if it's not getting anywhere, how about fasting for them? I mean, they don't have to join your church, man. At least if they trust Christ as their saviour. At least if you can let them know how important it is for them to get saved. They don't have to come. If you can't get them and they got questions, bring them. I'd love to see them come to church. I'd love to help. I'll do what I can to work with you to see souls won for Christ. you understand that? But at least try. That's a long time, man. Verse 4, And the four and twenty elders, we saw them back in chapter 4, and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Man, what a scene that's going to be beasts in heaven glorified pure holy ones just stuff you've never seen before that's cool stuff ain't it verse 5 and the voice came out of the throne saying praise our god all ye his servants and ye that fear him both small and great these are jews coming out of the tribulation period his servants you see that not his wife and I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, let's look at this word, omnipotent, reigneth. We memorized that when I was a kid. I think it was in Sunday school. God's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. And then they had us define what that meant. Omnipresent means he's everywhere. Omniscient is om, omni, think of the shint, science, omniscient. All knowing and omnipotent, all powerful. He's saying that's a Bible word, for the Lord God what? All powerful reigneth. Wait a second, who's reigning? Who's gonna reign in the millennium? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is who? Jesus Christ is God. So if you say you pray to God, worship God, follow God, and you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, Allah had no son, you ain't worshiping the right God. Allah is not the God of the Bible. He's not the creator of heaven and earth. That's the Lord, God, Jesus, the man, Christ, the spirit, Christ is anointed. They're three in one. So he's saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now here's the verse I wanted to get to, and I'm going to run some references with you and try to get you out of here in the next few minutes. He said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. We're going to circle back to that next time. And the wife hath made herself ready. Now, verse 8, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now watch this. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Alright, let's look at some references. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. You need to understand the difference between imputed righteousness and your personal righteousness. You guys know what your imputed righteousness is, right? What, what, what is imputed Righteousness. It's righteousness that's given to you that's not of you or from you. That's your salvation. In your salvation, you had righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to your soul. So when God looks at you, as far as your salvation is concerned, he sees perfect righteousness because he sees Jesus Christ and what he did. Is that making sense? Your personal righteousness is different from your imputed righteousness. This is how a saved person, because we don't have time to teach it all, but for, in case you don't understand, I'll throw it out there to you, just for food, food for thought, kind of bring you along. And I can answer the questions personally if you'd like later. But when it comes to your soul's salvation in the New Testament, you have what the Bible says is the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. So what happened to you in the New Testament when you get saved, this didn't happen in the Old Testament, is God literally cut your spirit, your soul, away from your body while it stayed inside of you. It's the circumcision made without hands, according to Colossians. It's a spiritual circumcision. It talks about a spiritual baptism. We baptize in water, but every time you see the word baptism in the Bible, it's not talking necessarily about your water baptism, believer's baptism. It's talking sometimes about being immersed into Christ fully immersed into him into his body so right now if you touch something sinful it'll defile your flesh your personal righteousness but it won't impact your soul you guys know that already right everybody understand that because of the circumcision made without hands the holy spirit of god lives in you and promised he'd never leave you or forsake you says you're sealed under the day of redemption. How can a Holy Spirit of God live in some people when they're lost? I mean, mean they're saved, but they're living like they're lost. I've said it before, and I take a lot of heat for it, so I'll say it again. (laughs) No, really, I do. You can be in the middle of smoking a crack pipe. Drop dead and go straight to heaven if you're born again. A saved man can do anything a lost man can do and in the middle of his sin drop dead and go straight to heaven. Now how would you say something so ridiculous and bold when the Bible says he that endureth to the end shall be saved and if you continue in those things, if you turn from them, there's a certain fearful looking for a judgment. We're not of them that turn back unto perdition but believe in it. And they'll start quoting all these verses to me. You know, they go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they go over to Hebrews and James, and that's where they get all their ammo against me because they don't understand rightly dividing the word of truth. They don't understand the mystery of the one body. They don't even understand the basics of salvation. Because when you're saved in the New Testament, your soul gets cut away from that sinful flesh. Paul said, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For a will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I find a law of sin in my members. You're not under the law. The law is a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. When you got to Christ, you got righteousness imputed to your soul, and now you can go to heaven because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay? Not going to affect your salvation. Now, here's the catch. People think then, well, you people, you once saved, always saved people, just live like the devil. I don't know, I know a lot of once saved, always saved people. That's like my crowd. And some of the best Christians I've ever met who do the most works of people I know are once saved, always saved. Joe said the other day he worked 15 hours straight and then went out and got out on the street and was out there at night still feeding people. And he's been doing it for 47 years. You know what he's got for it? A broken heart. Struggles with depression. Mm -hmm. People he ministers to for years and has great hope in dead. Mm -hmm. That's what he got for it. And he's once saved, always saved. (laughs) Don't give me that stuff. We do believe in good works. You better believe we believe in good works. We just know that the good works don't come from us. It comes from Jesus Christ. And we do it because we love him. And because our personal righteousness matters. You're preparing yourself for the day that you see Jesus Christ. And so your rewards and or rebuke at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ is based on what you do for him after you're saved. We believe in good works. I don't believe for a second that I can go live like I want to live, do what I want to do, cuss, drink, smoke, watch what I want to watch, listen to what I want to listen to, cheat on my wife, do anything else I want to do or the flesh wants me to do, and have no repercussions for it. I don't believe that for a second. I believe if I do any of that stuff that I just named, I believe God Almighty, my Father, like I talked to you about this morning, is going to whoop me, boy. And I think he'll whoop me at this point in my life. I think he'd just straight go to just, you're done. This cause men are weak, sickly, and many sleep, Tell me we don't believe in works. Right. We believe God will take us home early for not following him, for not doing right. If we push him, we don't listen to him. We believe his judgment can go that far. But we don't believe that saves us. And we don't believe it keeps us saved. So as born-again Christians who believe in eternal security, we most definitely believe in good works. And that's our personal righteousness. What you're doing is you're preparing yourself, you're sewing together some robes of righteousness so that you don't, and I'll show you the passage, so you don't walk naked in that day. The shame of your nakedness appearing when you get to heaven, He sewed nothing together. This guy got saved, he got fire insurance, he's not going to hell, but he's got nothing to present to the Lord. Let's run some references, I'm going to try to be quick about it. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 27. Uh, Verse 26, excuse me, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. How does God clean you up and get you ready? Washing you with the water by the word. That's why you need to be in church in a church that preaches and teaches the Bible clearly and methodically and faithfully over the long haul. Because it will get you ready to see the Lord when you die. Look at the next verse. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Now watch it not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know what God wants when He gets you there? He wants to see you ready. that what we saw in Revelation 19? The wife had made herself ready. He wants to see you ready. He wants to see you without spot, without blemish. He doesn't want you walking in there with your wedding uh, dress all wrinkled up and crinkled up and trashed and stained and coffee spills and cigarette burns and yellow sweat stains on it. He wants you to walk in there ready. Let's go to another passage. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Romans 14, 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, he's saying, The Lord's gonna judge them. Why don't you leave them alone? Your brother, this is saved people. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for born-again saved people. And this is happening during the tribulation period while they're down there on the earth going through that you're up in heaven being judged getting ready for the for the wedding for the marriage supper but before the marriage supper you got your judgment. Mm-hmm. And he's going to judge you for what you did in your life after salvation. And the motives of why you did what you did are important to the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Your methods might not be perfect, but what's your motive? In other words, why are you here tonight? Are you here tonight because you're spiritual? I'd rather people come to my church once a month than go up the road once a month. I'm glad you're back tonight. I really am. I love to see it filling up on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. You have no idea how much it helps and encourages me to see it. I mean, I put a lot of work into it. And it's a blessing to have a lot of people coming if I'm putting a lot of work in. I'm going to put the work in either way. I love it when you come. I sure never want you to feel pressured to come. I want you to come because you want to be here. See motive. You came here tonight because oh, we got a pastor's going to wonder where we are and want to answer all the questions. I don't ask usually. I try to find a fine balance on that, not pressure you, not make you feel that way. I want you here because you want to be here. You're here tonight because you want to be here tonight. Yes, yeah. Then you just put something together for the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't that a blessing. It's literally that simple. Yeah, it's that simple, of course it is. First Corinthians chapter three verse nine For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how see that? How he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Now watch. How are you building on Christ? The foundation is salvation. Did you get saved? Sure. Okay, then you're on the right foundation. Now you've got to build on him. Now if any man build upon this foundation, watch. Gold, silver, precious stones. Is that what you're building? Well, gold represents deity. Silver represents redemption. That's Jesus Christ. So one would represent God the Father, one would represent Jesus Christ in salvation, precious stones represent people, his body, his bride, soul winning, that kind of thing. What are you building on? You could also build on that foundation. That's a good foundation, right? You can also build wood, hay, and stubble. You know what those are? Those are dead things. That's what you do in and for and by the power of the flesh, even if you come to church by the power of the flesh. It's wood, hay, and stubble. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Right now we can't tell what your motive is. We just know you're here. We don't know why. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I don't know what your Bible reading is like. I don't know what your walk with Jesus Christ is like. I don't know how much He's in your thoughts from day to day and moment to moment throughout your day. I don't know how much you're ministering to him and telling him you love him and getting closer to him. I don't know, I can't tell about it's going to be manifest one day. we're going to see it. Right. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. I got that underlined in my Bible, what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Watch it. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You get to heaven and you did nothing for God. You just live for yourself. And what you did do, quote, for God, unquote, is wood, hay, and stubble just in the power of the flesh. Not out of a heart of love for the Lord and obsession with Jesus Christ and obedience and submission and, and all that to him. But just like just your religious thing, the fire's going to hit that stuff and burn it up. You know what fire does to gold and silver and precious stones? It purifies it. Even what I do for God the right way, since I'm so weak, he's so merciful, he purifies my efforts at the judgment seat of Christ. (laughs) Ain't that a blessing? Because do you ever go, did I do it for the right reason? I thought I did it for the right reason. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. I don't know my own heart. Relax. (laughs) Do your best you can, and God will purify it. But you show up there, and you got nothing but wood hay and stubble. The Lord help you. That's going to be a bad, bad, bad thing. Second Corinthians eleven, almost done. Just a couple more. Second Corinthians eleven. Look at verse thirty. Second Corinthians. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. First Corinthians eleven thirty. I said second. I, I apologize. We'll go to Second Corinthians in just a second. First Corinthians eleven thirty. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That means dead. I quoted that to you just a minute ago. Look at verse 31. Now watch this. This is important. For if we would judge ourselves, the wife hath made herself ready, right? For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You know what the best thing you can do is? come to church, listen to the Bible preached and say, God, is that me? You know what? I need to fix that. You know what? I'm, I'm a little off course here. I better get back on course. You know what? That was wrong. I need to stop that. Judge yourself. Because if you'll judge yourself based on what the Bible says and prayerfully based on what the Spirit of God shows you about you, He's not going to get you. I, we, have, we have four kids, you know. And I'm not going to name who's who or any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. They're almost there. We'll be a little more specific in a few more years. But we're kind of past those little kid phases where, where, and listen, okay, anyways, I'll stop. We're past the phases where it was like daily spankings, yeah. right? So that's been a little while now. Thank God for it. Two of my kids, they never needed much. Yeah, you know, they they, we set them off on the right foot. They understood what a spanking was pretty early, and after that, it was like, well, no more of that, right? They'd course correct involuntarily. Two of my kids didn't want to judge themselves. You understand what I'm saying? There's like no course correction. We had to just kind of like get to work. You know what I mean? We need rotator cuff replacements from those two kids. You only gotta be as hard on them as they make you be. You understand? You know what you never want to do as a parent? You never want to break their spirit. You want to break their will. You want to get them to a point where they say it ain't worth it. You don't beat them till you break their spirit. <laughs> like I was just scratching my head, honey. Something's wrong if that's happening, right? But you gotta break that will. That's your father. Why don't you be one of the ones where he says, eh, "I got a kid over there. I just got to give him a dirty look." I'm <laughs> sorry, Dad. Like, chill out, okay? I just gave you a dirty look. I didn't mean to overcorrect you. I mean, good night. You know, ain't that a blessing? Be that one, and you do that by judging yourself. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter five. God gives you. That's what. That's the beauty of preaching. I don't ever understand why people get so bent out of shape about straight, hard preaching. The beauty of straight, hard preaching is it's God's chance to point it out to you. And I know, I know I'm abrasive. I'm, I try to be careful. I, I want to be what God wants me to be, but I don't want to be disrespectful either or overstep. I, I pray about it, and I hate listening to myself. It's so hard for me to listen to myself, as sometimes I do, and I cringe, right? I just, ugh. But look, that's the sweetest way God can speak to you. It's through another man who understands the problem because he's part of the problem <laughs> and trying to tell you from, from needy soul to needy soul, here's what God says in the book. I mean, could it be any gentler than that? People just, <laughs> okay, well, just go deal with God between you and him then. Good luck. I'd rather say, wow, preacher, that's good. That's in the book, ain't it? All right, Lord, I need to, I need to fix that. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. You understand what I'm doing. You understand what I'm doing. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for the most important event ever. Second Corinthians five verse nine. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body. Your works, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You're not at the judgment seat of Christ if you're not saved. You're going to the great white throne judgment if you're lost, which we'll see in a few weeks. But if you're saved, you're at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to receive whether good or bad. Knowing therefore, verse number 11, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also I am made manifest to your conscience. Look at, uh, let's look at one more passage, and then we'll stop for tonight. Go to Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 13, I mean 12, excuse me, 12. It says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Watch it. If we deny him, he also will deny us. See, you're going to lose your salvation. Where do you see that in the passage? Why did your mind just jump to denying us meant you lost your salvation? Because look at the next verse. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You know what you are? You're his bride. You know what that means? These two become one flesh. It's the mystery of the one body. You're his body. You're the body of Christ. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Whether you depart from iniquity or not, the Lord knows whether or not you're part of His body. If we suffer, we'll reign. What that thing is telling you is that if you'll suffer, deny the flesh, submit to God, get right with God, say no to sin, and suffer like that as a Christian, He's going to give you an opportunity to reign with Him in the millennium as a reward. Because He's coming back in Revelation 19 to set up a kingdom and in that kingdom, there's structure and government and authority. And you're going to be running. We're going to be busy for a thousand years. We're not going to be sitting around, floating around on clouds and baby diapers with harps. <laughs> and wings. Bored out of our cotton-picking gourd. Nothing sounds more boring than that, you know? I mean, it'd be cool for a minute or two, like, wow, look at this, man. We're way up there. And then after a while, it's like, what am I going to Stare around at blue forever? I mean, you know, I'm sick of this stupid harp, you know? You're going to be busy, man. He's got a system going on for a thousand years. Babies are going to be being born. Stuff's going to be going to be going on for a thousand years in the millennial reign of Christ. And if you right now will judge yourself, if you right now will make yourself ready, if you'll right now try to please him the best you know how, you're preparing yourself for that day. And if you suffer now, you're going to reign with him later. But if you don't suffer now and you put together wood, hay, and stubble and you care more about the cotton-picking things of this stupid world you're in and you worry more about your 401k and your nest egg and all the rest of that and good luck to it. I hope it lasts with the economy and everything else that's going on because if uh, that all turns south, you lost it all and then you got nothing. So good luck. But if that's more important to you than the things of God, then fine. But as for me, I want to make myself ready for that day. And put myself into the things of God that will stand the test when I get to the judgment seat of Christ and that fire hits it. I'm hoping to God there's some gold, silver, and precious stone there. And that I've been willing to suffer a little for the name of Jesus Christ because then I get a chance to reign with him in the millennium. Guess what? If you're saved, you're going to be in the millennium. Whether you get to reign or not, I don't know what you're going to be doing. If you don't rain, I don't know. I don't know what saved people do in the millennium. I got some thoughts on it that we don't have time for tonight. I think you get some opportunities to work your way back up, possibly. But I know this much. You don't get a throne according to that passage. So I don't know. Maybe you're over there shoveling horse manure for that Christian who's raining over there. And you're in the palace stables shoveling the horse manure for the one you made fun of all the time. Yeah. I was like, I remember all that. And I go, oh, you're gonna, he'll take care of your stables. Don't worry about it. <laughs> go, get a, go get a shovel and keep that thing clean. I don't know what you'll be doing. I do know this, the Lord warns us about the shame of our nakedness appearing. We're talking about your personal righteousness, about pleasing Jesus Christ and living in such a way that brings glory glory to God. You better start getting ready now. And then we'll get into it some more next time, but He's going to make you ready by that time. All right, we'll stop there for tonight.